Hello and welcome to the Eurotrips podcast, where this week we are once again talking all things NFL. This week, I've got a very special guest. It is a um, writer for The Guardian, um, Ollie Connolly. How are you, Ollie? I'm doing good. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. Um, I've had the stress this morning of um, trying to get the um, NFL London tickets. How'd that go? <laughs> Eventually good. I managed to get both games, um, but I found um, it very stressful. I think the whole website was really badly organised. I think loads had this problem. I don't know whether you tried yourself as well, where it's just you in queues for hours. I think I was in the queue for an hour and a half. And then you get on the screen and they, they haven't got the ones you wanted available for like groups of five. And you have to then choose your individual seats. And that was just also a pain. And you like you click on the seat. And then it like expands and you can't actually click on the right seat. It's it's really, really, really bad. That's bizarre when you would think that they, they would have world-class infrastructure at this point. One, mm-hmm. it being the biggest ticket-selling league on earth. <laughs> that you yeah. think that would help. And then two, the stadiums they use, or stadium now, I guess, you know, it's not like they're immune or, or unused to yeah. this level of demand. Yeah. I mean, I think this year it's obviously been two games rather than four um, I think that maybe had an impact as well. Cause I think normally, because I did it, got into three of the four games in 2019, and I found it really easy to use, got what I needed, and that was it. Whereas um, I, th- I reckon because it's been a year away as well, that was COVID last year not happening. I think this year has meant it's been really in demand. And I think I was 27,000 in the queue when I first joined it. <laughs> <laughs> you sit through all that? How long does that take? Oh, it took about two hours. I just played some NBA 2K and GTA whilst waiting waiting in the queue. So I managed to fill my time eventually. But yeah. How do you feel about this? Doesn't really happen that much anymore, I guess. Everything's online now. I guess it's more of a back in the day thing where people used to camp out overnight for for Mm. tickets. That used to happen a lot with festivals. You actually saw that record store day. People would do that. They sleep the night before. I actually saw Mm. one in in Berry near me. There's a record shop called Wax and Bee. I'll give them a shout out. They posted a picture the night before of two lads who were camping out. It's like 10 o'clock. It's like, here's the first guys in queue. Record store day. We're selling records, great deals, all that stuff. Two lads camping out. They do another picture at like six in the morning. It's still just the two lads. <laughs> they slept all night to still Flat. be first in the queue. They could have just walked up at six with a nice Starbucks and said, all yeah. right, let, let us in. Uh, yeah, I, I don't, I, I don't know how I feel about the sleeping yeah. over thing in queues. No, do they still do it for Wimbledon? Is that still a thing for that? Or yeah, because they, uh, there's only they do day tickets, don't they? If you want to just be in yeah. the park, and um, there's only so many go around, isn't there? So yeah, you, I imagine people would do. Yeah, no, I think there's been a lot of. If you look at Twitter today, a lot of people have been complaining about how long it took and just how badly ran. So. Uh, Ticketmaster. Hopefully next year they'll they'll get their act together a bit more because that was a disgrace. <laughs> I feel like everyone says that about every Ticketmaster event ever, and I don't yeah. think they're that fussed. They seem yeah. to be making billions and billions of pounds, so yeah. I think they'll be okay. Yeah, I mean anyone who like myself tried to get Glastonbury tickets as well. It's just that's like that's like an Olympic sport in itself. Trying to get tickets for Glastonbury, it's just un- unbelievable. Um, so like I do with any guest, I like to find out sort of what team they support and why. Um, now, for yourself, Ollie, I don't actually know if you have a team, first of all. Um, so do, firstly, do you have a team? But also, if so, um, why the team you support? Uh, yeah, I don't really have a team. I guess I'm more objective. Most of my career has been as a scout. It is, one, it is one of those sausage experiences, as they say, when you see how the sausage is made. When you start getting friends 
few that play or then are in the league and are coaches, you definitely lose some of the, um, like, that's my team. I mean, I was a Patriots fan for the longest time, and I covered them the closest. Like, in the early part of my career, when I moved to America, uh, I was there for about four or five years, and I was living in Boston. So I was most closely associated with them, and I was a fan for a decent portion. Like, I wanted them to win, which I guess is the basis of fandom. But I didn't get that, like, kicking the nuts gut punch you know if there was like if they didn't convert on third down that level of fandom i've never really had it's always been more of an analytical thing for me and, and scouting and a more of a professional thing so um um yeah i guess the patriots would be my team in that respect yeah fair i mean i i actually went to a page patriots game not them a fan i just went to see uh tom brady before he well, whilst he was still playing so i went to watch in 2019 i watched the patriots against the chiefs mm-hmm. uh, in in foxborough yeah and that was in december which i didn't realize how cold it was I <laughs> <laughs> and foxborough is nowhere near boston either did you yeah. go into boston did you learn that or did you know that before you went because that is a brutal trip for people when they're in boston like we're gonna go to foxborough it's like wow that's a real trek it's, it's yeah, not yeah. it's not fun <laughs> yeah i think anywhere in america it's such a big country i imagine anywhere is a massive trek but i knew it was cold so i was told it was cold but i didn't realize how cold yes. they meant <laughs> and then in terms of the game i just booked a bus um again i didn't really know how long it was gonna be i just thought it's get me there it's get me back that's all i need mm-hmm. to know but the way back i remember being a bit of a trek because of traffic as well but yeah the way back was, was some journey but um Good stadium, though. Good stadium. Uh, yeah, it's it's kind of a, a Robert Kraft world now, isn't it? It's got all kinds of stuff going on because it's so far out. It's like, look, well, we can get them there. <laughs> they can stay, I guess, <laughs> on non-match days for like five hours and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, that, it's a kind of all like that with American stadiums, isn't it? It's more of like an amusement park feel that's like, well, come to the gift shop, but then also stay for six hours doing random random stuff do some bowling do you know do what, <laughs> yeah. whatever else you can do at, at british grounds it's like all right there's the shop do the tour see you later yeah, yeah. i remember i went i went to tailgating um there's a guy who's, i don't know whether you've been to tailgating in fox but there's this guy who does a speech every game i've been told i was told okay so um obviously i went with two people i met through um, the nfl uk fan group facebook page and and um so we i was told oh there's this guy he's gonna do a speech so they give you all like give you all like i think it's apple sales or some sort of some sort of shot and um you were there waiting for ages ages i think i was waiting for a good hours for this guy to do a speech with a shot in my hand so i was there with my obviously my gloves off because i was <laughs> and my my hands must have been blue by the end of that <laughs> rookie era they, they drink they drink weird over there did you drink much it's very strange and the culture um, in boston is like you buy a pint and that, then that is your pint and it's like i'm buying my pint and then you sit at the bar with the pint and then for the next two hours, it's pure shots. And you kind of have the pint as you're, as you're talking. It's a nice sipping mechanism. But the act of getting drunk comes only in shot form. And then you finish your pint and then you're like done for the evening. I was like looking around like, wait, what do you mean? What time I drink my pint? Like, That's the end of the thing. It's very <laughs> peculiar. Yeah, no, I, I mainly had a lot of Bud Light I had when I was in oh, Boston. Yeah. That was the main sort of beer they had. But yeah, I mean, like, people I met out there and all that, they were all drinking various different sort of like uh, gin rum whiskey things like that so yeah it's well i didn't see much of it apart from the one i was drinking but um they, they had a few in, in the tailgate so that was pretty good um now we mentioned london we mentioned london at the start um news today also they were released for the nfl uk games um the two games are the atlanta falcons against new york jets on october the 10th 
and my Miami Dolphins against the uh, Jacksonville Jaguars on Sunday, the 17th of October. Um, so the two games, those are the two games. Um, so how do you think those two games will go, Ollie? Do you, who are you backing to win these two games? Um, are you, you think Zach Wilson's going to play and going to out, out duel uh, Matt Ryan? Or do you think Tua's going to perform against Trevor? How do you see it all going, the London games? Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know specifically about how the games will go. I guess it'll be form-based and how the teams look at the time. Um, I think the thing that will be most fascinating for people to go, I, I do think Zach Wilson is probably the, the headline of it all. Um, really fascinated by his preseason development. You know, it, it, it's this kind of new mold and evolution of rookie QBs where, you know, they cleared the decks from when he got there. They're like, we're not even having a, an old guy in the room, which is unheard of and bonkers because usually the guys don't even know how to take notes properly so you at least get the old guy where it's like well that that bit goes first mate and then you, we put this bit second and this is how we watch tape so yeah. to just not have a guy in the building was very bizarre so then he has to go for all the mini camps in the first part of preseason it's like you are starting as a guy who you know went to not a big time college and is raw um then they bring the older guy in at the end of training camp like well maybe we should get someone who tells him like well you know pack the shoes on the left side of the suitcase because the suit goes on the right it's, you can squeeze more in on road trips mate we got to do a two for one on this trip that type of stuff so they bring johnson in to kind of help him out but schematically it's interesting where teams are now saying like well the raw guy can play it's almost like the rhythm thrower you see how trevor lawrence has struggled uh, in preseason with jacksonville now part of that is his offensive line hasn't really played three of the starters haven't played preseason they're being rested and then when the, that group fully gets together in week one that's actually a really good group at jacksonville line so he should be kind of less skittish and okay but you see when a guy is like a rhythm-based guy like lawrence and it's kind of funky when you first come to the nfl it's like it's really fast they're showing different looks not so much in preseason but you'll see this more through the first few weeks it's like I really need a good offensive line to help out here. I really need my receivers to get open of whilst it's kind of it's kind of cooked. With the freelancers like Zach Wills, it's like, well, we can just throw you out there and just do stuff, please. And then over time, we'll work in some more of this advanced stuff. And it used to be the complete reverse, right? Like you go away and you work on nice footwork and timing routes and all these complex concepts. Go and do that in the background, and then we'll bring you in when we think you're ready. You think of Aaron Rodgers completely, you know, reimagining his throwing motion, his footwork, three years. That's a Colin Kaepernick. You sit, you don't know how to run a pro system. Sit over there for a year, and we'll unleash you on a Thursday night somewhere in Jacksonville, and it'll take the world by storm. Now it's like, well, the rhythm guys, you need to take some more time because we need everything to be perfect, or we throw you out there, and it's a Joe Burrow situation. And you're going to get, you, you know, your knee cleaned out and your head cleaned off, and we'd rather just keep you safe until it's ready to go. Whereas with the, the freelancers, like I said, it's like, well, just go out there and make stuff happen and slowly we'll build in some of the footwork and timing stuff. And I've just been so impressed by Zach Wilson, who looks completely befuddled as the ball is snapped. It's like, I have no idea what's going on here. And then once he starts moving, it's like, well, this is just football then, I guess. And he's got such that that unbelievable slingshot Mahomesian release of the ball from any arm angle to anywhere on the field. And some of the stuff he's doing is just extraordinary. I, I think... Wilson, to me, and I don't know how good he's going to be long term. No one does. Once you start seeing real coverages and they start rotating safeties and this guy's walked down, but he moves back. And, oh, my God, what do I do? That's when being less advanced becomes a real problem and you can't just run around, see it and throw it. But he has a real feeling of I think you've got to probably be there to believe it and see it. I think he's going to be one of those type of guys where from TV it looks wild and I bet it's even crazier in person. And he has a real feel for me where in six, seven, eight years time, even if he doesn't pan out, to the level that the Jets would hope, which is like, you know, carrying us on his back as a perennial Super Bowl contender. There could be a Mahomesian, like, tell people where, where you were when you saw X. Like, I was in London 
when Wilson made that play and it becomes like a big thing that Wilson in this rookie year can have a season or a few plays where it's like you had to be there to believe. And I think that the fans going to London games are going to get a chance to see something pretty mm. special and, and tell people for the rest of the time they were there at the very start of the journey when this guy started. Yeah, and I think it'll be a sem- if, it ha- if that does happen, I think it will be the same as what we saw in 2019 when um, the Texans Jaguars game and Deshaun Watson had a had an unreal game. Everyone was sort of that was when I went there. I was the takeaway from that game from everyone how good he was sort of because we'd all seen on TV how good Deshaun Watson was, and then um, seeing him there, you know, in the flesh was really. I think a lot of people who went there had that same same D hop as well. I think it's just a real. Real joy to see them two playing. Obviously, since then it's all sort of derailed in Houston. It's not quite the same team it was, and I think for the Sean Watson particularly. Um, but I think again that was the thing. I was, at one point I was thinking that season when the Texans were twenty-four 0 up against the Chiefs, I thought, oh wow, I may have seen the actual Super Bowl champions um, playing here. So I think, I think Wilson. Yeah, I think um, Carl Pitts is giving another one that's going to um, really excite people. I think he's probably one of the best tight end prospects in years I think he is someone that I think a lot of people I've spoken to that's one of the guys they really want to see um for myself I want to see, I want to see Matt Ryan I'm looking forward to seeing him play I've always been a big fan of Matt Ryan and I think it's a real shame that how that Super Bowl ended against the Patriots all those years ago and then obviously from a personal point of view the Dolphins game I'm looking forward to um and I'm, I think a lot of people a lot of people as well will be looking forward to seeing Trevor Lawrence and I think that also is going to be a massive a massive draw for them I think not only the whole Jacksonville uh, London team scenario as well. A lot of people probably are Jacksonville Jaguars fans. Um, equally, a lot of people are Dolphins fans in the UK. I think that the Bears and the Dolphins seem to be the most two followed teams in the UK. Uh, so I think any chance to see them, I think that's probably why today it was so much easier to get tickets for Falcons Jets than it was for Jaguars Dolphins because of just how m- much more followed those teams are compared to Atlanta and New York. Um Talking of Jacksonville, there was some other news today. Um, sadly for rookie Travis Etienne, uh, Jacksonville's first round running back pick, uh, he has um, suffered an injury that will rule him out for the entire season. Um, that's How gutting is that for Travis Etienne? That's um, that's so sickening, isn't it, for for him? Yeah, it's a mad one because when, when he was selected in the first round, it was one of those classic things where all the smart people come out and they say, oh, you know, it's embarrassing. You take a running back in the first round. It's a terrible use of resources. All the traditional refrains of, of first round running backs. You can find these guys anyway. You I mean, you've seen in this preseason undrafted free agents. They look like absolute beasts because there's just so many running backs going around. And that is true in terms of like use of resources. Even when you get a good one like Derek Henry, where you build your whole kind of franchise around. This is what we model on with defense and this guy it's still a bad use of resources in the first round and it's a bad use of resources on the second contract like in Ezekiel Elliott. But Etienne was, although he was a true running back in college, he was going to be kind of Percy Harvin, Curtis Samuel to this Urban Meyer offense. He was going to play outside a whole bunch. He was going to play in the slot. Urban Meyer has this thing and he has just lifted his college offense and brought it to the NFL. There's no compunction about learning any kind of NFL stuff. The guy is 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 a walking tub of arrogance and he thinks I'll just walk in with my scheme and here we go. Um, he has a move piece, which is just a guy who is flaring all over the field all the time. It's a ton of motion. It's that guy can play slot outside and in the backfield. And that one guy can move to any of those three spots. And it hopefully sets the defensive look in such a way where it makes things easy for the quarterback pre and post snap. Etienne was going to be that guy. You're talking about a lightning fast player. 
um, who, you know, is, is one of the quickest running backs we've ever seen in college football. That's what he was. Um, and is get that guy the ball in space and more importantly, move him all over the field, mostly pre-snap to get the defensive eyes going somewhere where there's this really fast guy running and then space should open up elsewhere. So to lose that, I think it's um, it's going to be understated almost how much that impacts him schematically. Immediately you see people pointing out to the guys behind him who are all very good running backs, but they, they did not have a piece who can play that move role. I mean, it's you're asking for a tr- at this level, you're asking for someone of the athleticism of a Percy Harvin, and even Harvin was up and down the league. Like you are talking true freakish inside outside speed. Those guys do not. You, Brandon Cooks is kind of the model you're really looking for, um, and you don't find many Brandon Cooks is just walking around the street. Those guys are really fast. Um, so I think it's I think it's genuinely devastating to them. They're going to have to almost completely reevaluate what they do on offense, which is you know a week before the season is. Um, is good thing yeah and i think also this will probably increase the snap count for james robinson but i think what we, was so perfect because they had um that sort of power back in james robinson but also the the back that could also be receiving back in travis etienne i think that would then that would have then opened up the offense for trevor lawrence completely obviously they'll still have dj Chark, they'll still have marvin jones but i think having that curtis samuel-esque sort of acquisition really would have would have really been a big difference that offense really given Travis some flexibility in terms of you know you can use Travis for the you can make you can rush with the ball you can make him capture the ball you can put him in in jet sweeps I think I think he's a massive miss I think that whilst he's not played a single snap in the NFL yet so he may have been the best you never know but I think at the same time he could have been that real difference maker to this Jaguars offense and I think I think this will just add further problems for Trevor Lawrence. And I think that if he can get the O-line right, I think it'd be fine. But I think we saw in that Saints game the other day that if he's not protected, like any quarterback would be, um, he would struggle. So hopefully he comes back, you know, next season um, and gets to gets a chance to prove himself in the NFL. Um, other news talking of running backs, um, Sony Michelle has been traded to the Los Angeles Rams in exchange for two uh, 22 first round picks. Uh, th- sorry, I think it was fifth and sixth round uh, picks they had. Um, of course, everyone, when Cam Akers went down injured, everyone was saying that this may affect the Rams' NFC West um, division hopes. And um, but I think now, do you, do you think now with um, the signing of Michelle, is this giving the Rams another dimension to the offense? Uh, not particularly. I, th- I mean, I think it's it's a piece. It, it's someone with far greater upside than anyone they, they currently have on the roster in terms of being that downhill thudding power back. And that they seem to like having at least two of them around. Um, you know, Michelle, uh, they, they kind of moved on from the Todd Gurley era almost purely because of, of health related reasons. And Michelle himself doesn't exactly have a great injury track record. So um, they're asking a, a decent amount for him to make it through the season. I mean, when the guy is is healthy and right he's an extraordinary talent between the tackles breakaway speed almost everything you would want um the receiving element is not there which is a big part of the round setup that you don't really know if the back is going to be staying in you know or, or going out as a receiver so um i wouldn't call it a, a game changer they have so many other moving pieces there and so many variables with the new defensive coordinator with matthew stafford that i don't think michelle's the guy who kind of makes or breaks a thing i think he could cap it wonderfully if you can get a if you could guarantee him being healthy for even just nine games, that would be a real benefit to them and would just make them more diverse offensively, which is what they're looking for. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, my final bit of news was that Robbie Anderson, the Panthers wide receiver, has had a two-year extension on his contract worth $25 million. Um, now, 
Sam Darnold has joined the Panthers from the Jets, um, someone who had a difficult start to his life in the NFL. Um, but now he's obviously a new franchise. Um, is securing someone um, sort of for a few more years more at the franchise, how big of a help is that to Sam Darnold, getting someone like Robbie Anderson in there to, um, to help him and be there? For, obviously, because... The longer it had gone on, he may have, you know, may have gone in free agency to someone. So do you think now, now he's added an extra two years to his contract, how good is this in terms of Sam Darnold and helping his development and getting him to being the quarterback that everyone thought he'd be when he came out of USC? I'm not sure it's that that much of a help, really. Uh, me and Anderson's a really good player, but Darnold might not even be there in a year's time. Um, this is kind of a swing from Carolina, hoping for the best. You know, they went for Stafford. They thought they had him. They missed. They basically had Deshaun Watson until everything blew up in their face, kind of 48 hours before they could complete that deal with all, all the allegations that came out against him. But they thought they had that Deshaun Watson deal over the line. He, they went for Aaron Rodgers, and that just wasn't working out because the Packers weren't budging. They went for Russell Wilson, who, you know, threw his hissy fit at the start of um the offseason then decided i actually don't really want to leave though <laughs> you know i just kind of want the attention of like i might leave yeah. and for them to concede to me on on all kind of the the offensive designs and maybe include me in some decisions i don't really want to go live in carolina thank you um seemed to be his his preference there and so they they looked around they threw their hands up and they said well i guess the best we can do is sam donald um and I would not be at all surprised if they were back in for every single one of those same names next next year and that they got one of the, those deals over the line eventually. Um, their new owner, Tepper, has been pretty vocal about, I am going to swing every offseason for a franchise quarterback. If I don't have one, I'm moving heaven and earth to go get one, which is what they did that offseason. We just rattled through all the names, right? They went for all of them and they landed and said, well, I guess we'll take a punt on this guy who was rated highly coming out of college. And, you know, he sunk at the Jets and... Plenty of players have done that. And maybe there's something in there. I, I just don't think Sam Donald has moved the needle quarterback. I think there's plenty of evidence on tape that at times that Jets supporting cast was not as bad as his play suggested it was. Um, and, and I just don't don't know how much uh, having Anderson like beyond this season helps him. Having him this year is wonderful. They've got a very talented receiving core. They can do lots of different things. And we'll really get to see if Donald can sink or swim. But if he does sink, I don't think the, the Panthers are going to be too worried about saying well we've invested in him let's reinvest and go and get more guys i think they'll be quite happy to, to kind of cut bait right away and, and try and find another upgrade yeah i think they've obviously shown in the last few years that they're not they're not uh, exactly shy of um, making these decisions like these um how do you think they'll do the season the panthers how do you see them how do you see them doing obviously they got mccaffrey back um now they, they've lost Kit samuel but they've got mccaffrey back who obviously is a massive part of their offense i think having him back fully healthy will be a massive addition so how do you think the Panthers will do in, in what is a very hard division in the um in the NFC South with the, the Bucks Saints and Falcons um do you see them at all making the playoffs what's your views on Carolina coming into the 2021 season they could do that they might be the most fascinating team in the league at the moment I mean that they, they've kind of decided they hire Matt Rule and they say we want to be the college team in the NFL which is we are going to not only hire like the best and brightest college minds on both offense and defense we're going to run true college schemes they play dime on first down they play big nickel that's basically what all college teams do now we're hiring Joe Brady we're having a simplified offense that is is very air raidish and our gamble is that this is where the league will be in three or four years and we'll be ahead of that curve, kind of how the Patriots did this. Hey, they, they moved to 3-4 in 2005 and everyone else was still stuck at 4-3. And hey, they went to two tight ends in 2011 and everyone else was still playing with, you know, uh, 
with three linebackers on the field that they want to be the team that's ahead of that curve and i just feel like i'm looking around i'm like that's really smart that's the kind of thing you would sit around almost like in a big tech company and be like oh yeah brilliant 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 we'll be ahead of the curve and you wake up on day one of the season like hang on a second we might be a year or two away from needing to be ahead of the curve because that books team is loaded and they play old school football whenever they want and that Saints team, although it's getting older, that defense is really fast. And we might not quite have the horses to, you know, it's all well and good to say we're going to play college football in the NFL. And we're going to, you know, make it a horse racing a one-on-one where you can need the horses to win one-on-one. And I'm looking around the division saying, I'm not quite sure they have the horses. I think they might be the most fascinating schematic team in the league and just not quite have the pieces to do anything about it. I do think JC Horn can be wonderful. I do think Brian Burns can be an elite edge rusher and take a real leap. I do think, although their offensive line sometimes gets panned, they have real talent. I think Elfline can eventually be good. I think Taylor Moten is a fantastic tackle. Um, So I I think they got pieces, like you mentioned before, their skill position talent is is really good. and it will come down to what can Donald do. But I still, every year I look at them, I'm like, I feel like they're a year away, they're two years away, and the problem's going to be that, you know, like you just said with Anderson, some of these contracts are going to come up and you're going to start looking at yourself saying, oh, we thought we were ahead of the curve, but now we've got to play Brian Burns. You know, we've got to give him a four-year massive deal. We've got to pay some of these guys. Got Moten got paid. Moore's going to get paid. We're going to have to make a decision on Donald. So I really don't know. You could tell me that they kind of bottom out and it just doesn't work this season. They win five games and they move on from Donald. Or you could tell me it it fits quite well. They kind of muddle through the Donald situation. They win 11 games. And I'd be like, yeah, both of those make sense to me. Yeah, I think it definitely could go one of two ways. I think they could easily, you know, Donald could stink out the place like he did in New York and they could win three or four or five games. But at the same time, they could win eight, nine games and be one of the best have one of the best records for any team who finishes last in their division. So I think they will be one of the best. I think they'll finish fourth person. I do think they will be one of the best, if not the best, fourth place team in the league, in the league maybe except for the team from the NFC West. Um, so you, prefer, you prefer the Falcons over the Panthers? Yeah, I, I did this in a previous pod where I had Matt Ryan as my comeback player of the year. I think with, um, you saw Arthur Smith, what he did under Ryan Tannehill. And I think that... Um, Getting obviously, if they do anything like he did in Tennessee, Arthur Smith, I think getting him in, uh, and get he might get Matt Ryan, but I think he's got a great chance to get Matt Ryan back to his best. And I think, yes, well, they've lost Julio Jones, they've gained Carl Pitts, who looks like he can be a tight end, but also he's great receiving, so they could even play him out as a receiver, um, in as well. So I do think that having him there, uh, and I think talking about Calvin Ridley's next and underrated wide receiver, I think he'll well be a massive addition. Uh, I think defense is their only worry. I, 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 that's my only worry with the Falcons. Um, but I, I'm backing Matt Ryan to have a really good season. I think he's going to be maybe not his MVP year kind of form, but I think he's going to get back to you know the callback we've all seen before. And I think that um, obviously Julio Jones is now gone, but I think he may have been you know I think he wanted to leave that maybe maybe the whole of last season. So I think having him out now, having players who want to be there, I do think that now will will potentially. Um, he sings for Matt Ryan and he sings for that. And I think uh, Dan Quinn didn't have the best time as head coach. I think Arthur Smith had the potential to really change this team's fortunes. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. I, I, they, they don't really know where they want to be. They, they kind of toyed with the idea of, well, do we tear this thing down and rebuild? I think they had a choice in the offseason. It was, like I said, they tear it down and rebuild and we just get rid of everyone. Um, the only guy we're really keeping is Ridley. We move Matthews, we move Matt Ryan, we move Julio Jones, and we take a bounty of draft picks and we say, we are just hard resetting this whole thing. We had a great run, made a Super Bowl, should have won the Super Bowl, didn't quite work out in the end, and we go again. 
Um, or do we keep this core that has, you know, Grady Jarrett, Dion Jones, kind of the last holdovers from the Dan Quinn era, and we say we give it one more chance, and we, we kind of shuffle some cap room around, maybe we move a draft pick or two, and we try and microwave some kind of success here at the very end of this core. And they kind of straddle this middle line where they thinned out the middle of the roster, trying to do some kind of money-saving stuff because they're basically paying seven guys for their entire salary cap heading into the offseason. We'll move Julio, but then we'll draft Kyle Pitts. Now that's a weird one to do when you're kind of in a reset mode. I love Kyle Pitts as much as anyone. He's probably the best player in the in the entire draft. Tight end rookies, it doesn't work very well. You know, there's an awful lot to take on board at that specific position because you're basically playing three positions in one. It's an awful lot to take on board. He can certainly be a, a mismatch piece for you, and maybe he'll he'll will be the rookie of the year. He has all the physical tools. He's got all the talent in the world to be the best tight end in the league. Um, but it, the 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 track record of rookie tight ends being impactful pieces is not very good. So I, I just find them to be a strange middle ground team. I, I think you're right with some of the top end talent. Matthews, good tackle. Ridley, outstanding receiver. Ryan, an outstanding quarterback when protected properly, when playing in the right scheme. But their depth is so bad. If they get even one injury, they're in real trouble. The offensive line stinks. The defense is so terrible. Unless Dante Fowler Jr. can be anything like he's been in the past. And there's there's little evidence. Seems like he's one of those guys who got paid and was like, whatever, I'm out. <laughs> it's, I got paid. I got the bag. Who cares yeah. now? Um, I think that defense has a chance to be historically terrible. I will say I read Bill Barnwell's, he had a, a preview of the money ESPN today. Um, and I, I believe they were the basically by analytics, the unluckiest team in history. No one has ever had that their fourth quarter point differential. Um, they basically lost four games they should have won. Um, so maybe there's more talent there than I'm giving credit for. I do think Arthur Smith is certainly more innovative and can be a bit more creative with that team. But I, I just look at them and I think the bottom is really ready to fall out there. Yeah, and that actually answers very well. I basically read questions in our last pod with Nat Coombs, and there's a few questions we couldn't get answered. And one of them was from Rob from the Third and Gold podcast. He was on our podcast before. He was saying about what do you feel the chances are for the Falcons this season with a new head coach and new coaching staff? Uh, but obviously, we've always mentioned that just then. So that answers your question, Rob. Um, so, yeah, we, we, we had a few questions um, from from people um so our first question was from rob our second question comes from at brad eddie now he's asking uh, he's asking um here which team do you feel has the best defense and who do you think will go all the way and win super bowl 56 um best in the league defensively um well you got the books and niners Great fronts, Rams. The Rams be interesting to see what happens now. Brandon Staley's gone. Do they kind of run the same stuff? They were so exotic and creative last year. Do they, do they stay that way? It's kind of hard to do on a snap-to-snap basis like that. I think the Steelers, you look at the Steelers' front, particularly when they're playing, I know every down is a passing down now, but as they say, they play nickel and you kind of get into your pass coverage defense. Their front is TJ Watt, Stefan Tuitt, Cam Hayward, Melvin Ingram. And then you get Devin Bush, who... Hasn't been great in the league, but is at least, you know, a move piece. He's undersized and you can match up with guys in coverage. Terrell Edmonds on the back end, Minka Fitzpatrick. That is about as, you cannot get more oomph in a front four in a, on a passing down situation than that. that. That's as good as it gets in the league. I do think Tampa's right there, but that that is as good as it gets. And no one has that kind of versatility on the back end too, where they can send out Minka or Edmonds to cover whatever you want. Running back, tight end, receiver, does not matter. And I think that they're okay enough at corner. I really like Cameron Sutton, who plays in the slot for them. I think they're okay enough at corner. That should make them 
the best league now. It depends how you quantify best league. I think that's probably the most gifted. And if you're saying to me, pick a defense now, you're playing anyone on Sunday, pick a defense, I would take that. Now, it depends how you measure it because their offense might stink this year. And so the points might be bad, yards might be bad, even DVOA and some of these advanced efficiency metrics might be bad because they're just getting tired or they're playing extra drives compared to everyone else. But I think purely from a talent perspective and saying like, you know, how you got to design a defense play this weekend, anyone in the league, I think that's the group I'd take. Yeah, I think another thing that deserves an mention is the Washington football team. I think that yep. defensive front is excellent. You look at uh, Ch- Chase Young, you look at um, Jared Allen, you look at Montez Sweat on the edge, you look at all these players they've got on that front seven. Um, it's just, it's just, I think they're, I think they got a good secondary as well. But I think, I think their, their front seven particularly is one of the best, one of the best in the league. That, um, that Washington team, that they have this rare thing which you very rarely see at the NFL level which, and this is going to sound slightly hyperbolic, but when you mention the 2000 Ravens and you mention those Seahawks teams who you know ran through the league for three seasons, very rarely do you get enough guys where you look bigger, stronger, faster than everyone else at the NFL level. It just does not happen. Everyone is, you know, everyone has the same salary cap. Everyone has the same resources. Everyone has the same number of draft picks. To, to find a front, like you mentioned, the, all those guys, Young, Sweat, Allen, so on, they are so big and so fast. And I love that they basically said, let's go to the best three schools in the country and get their best linemen. How about that for an idea? And we'll just keep doing that until four of them and we have a forest of freaks and we'll just send them off the quarterback, shall we? And it's like, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. Let's just try doing that. And what they have now, as you said, that is certainly, I, I think that the Steelers, what they have is, we know TJ Watt can lead the league in sacks. He just did it. He's the best pure edge rusher in the league right now. What, the, what Washington has is a chance to rip off a three-year run like the Seahawks, which is where our defense is so dominant. Chase Young is so unblockable. Uh, it's it's like if, if Aaron Donald early in his year had had the, the rest of the Seahawks group around him, can you imagine what would have happened? Chase Young has walked into that situation. It's like, oh, I'm the best player on the team, but our team is already maybe the best defense in the league. This is insane. So they have a chance to be such a special group where they win games single-handedly. Um, I mean, I think I take the Steelers for the flexibility just, but I think, um, you know, you could go talent for talent and make any case for the Washington you want. That, that that group is loaded. Yeah, I think Washington as well. I think in terms of their chance, I think they got a great chance of going far in the playoffs. I think like we look at sort of, I think because of probably a few teams, I think you look at even their offense, you've got Fitzpatrick, who, yes, he's a bit inconsistent, but he um, proved last season at times that he can be a good quarterback. You look at Terry McLaurin, you look at, you mentioned Curtis Samuel, on on wide outs, you look at their running backs. You got um, uh, what's his name? Oh, the running back. Um, McKissick. Who's the starter one called? Um, I think his name's gone past me now. What's his name? Um, oh, what's his name? Antonio Gibson. You've got Antonio Gibson. You've got JD McKissick. I think you've got great running back. You've got great receivers. You've got a good quarterback, a serviceable quarterback. I do think that Washington. I think. For me, they're, they're better than the Cowboys overall. And I do think that they're going to win the NFC East. And I do feel that when it comes to the playoffs, whilst, yeah, some teams like the Buccaneers, the Rams, 49ers, Packers all got better teams overall. I do think that the Washington have that, as you mentioned, that, that defence. I think that defence can really take them far. And as well, a head coach like Ron Rivera, who's proved to be an excellent head coach throughout his career. I think, yeah, he seems to have really got this team playing well. And I think they'll carry on the way they ended last season. Yeah, I mean, the Fitzpatrick thing would worry me, you know, Mm, as much as everyone loves him and he might be, you know, as fun as any player in the league, both personality and just to watch because he's so volatile. Um, 
yeah, to, to bank on that for 17 weeks plus playoffs is is a step too far for me. I think what they have, they, I mean, if I if I was them, I'd be really disappointed to not win that division. I mean, mm. Fitzpatrick is more than good enough to guide you to a division title and probably throw three games away for you, probably win you two games you shouldn't have won anyway. Um, that's just who he is. What if when you are in a division that, let's face it, is pretty crappy. I mean, and you're <laughs> and the main rival that should be good, they won't let their quarterback throw for some reason in practice because they're saying they don't want to put too much stress on it. It's like, well, how's he supposed to throw a ball for 17 weeks in a row then if he's not allowed to throw for two weeks in training camp? That makes no sense. Um, So when you're playing in a division that's like that, when you have by far the best unit, you should win the thing. Those guys should be good enough to win you the divisional games at least on their own. Um, And those guys, I think, are just going to wreck the the Giants offense um, and wreck the Eagles offense. And that should be four wins for you right there. Maybe you go three and one in those four. But that should be more than enough, I think, to, to give them the division. Yeah, and no, I think I think they've basically got it down to I think they'll they'll really do well in this division. I think the Cowboys are getting slightly overhyped, personally. Um talk about the next question. Um so this question. Oh, I didn't answer who would go all the way, by the way. Should I do oh. that quickly? <laughs> um I still think the Chiefs, um, I know it's boring and bland, but they have the best thrower of footballs you may have ever lived, which really helps. Um and, and re- completely redo. We've never seen a team ever with a great quarterback in his prime, which is what Mahomes already is. Say we have an issue. What about if we use every resource available to address it instantly? You know, usually even with Peyton Pey- Manning's career, when there was issues about like, oh man, they can't get any guards to go alongside Jeff Saturday. It'd be like, well, we'll draft one, then we'll sign one the next year, then let's sign another one, then we'll, let's draft another one. Chief said, bleep all of that. We've got how much money have we got? How many draft picks? Let's go use all of them to go and get the best possible situation right now. So to bring in Orlando Brown, to get Kyle Long out of retirement, to say that, I mean, that's what they've done is like, well, call everyone who's retired. He wants to come try and win a Super Bowl. They got guys out of retirement. Um, LDT came back. Obviously, he was a COVID opt out. They go make Joe Tooney the highest paid guard in the league. They've pushed all those chips into trying to protect Patrick Mahomes. And if he stays upright, you win a Super Bowl. That, that's basically yeah. what the league is right now. Um, so, and, and it's going to take a time for that to coalesce. I've said this before on many shows, but if you speak to any um, coach, usually an offensive line coach, they will always tell you, give me continuity over raw talent. They, they do. The talent is almost irrelevant. You have to have guys who at least know their strengths, their weaknesses. Okay, this guy climbs well to his left, but I climb better to my right. So when we're running duo, you know, he's going to go, I'm going to go. The quarterback needs to know that, well, on this certain type of pass play, my guy gets beat quick on the right, but this guy can sustain on the left. So I've got to step up and do this. And you just kind of find out all these little nuances about your play. So if you can keep that core group together, you learn all those little things where it just makes the game so much easier for you. It's going to take them some time, I think, to maybe put it together. We're going to have articles and columns saying, like, what's wrong with the Chiefs, I think for five, six, seven weeks. But if they can blend this all together and with that level of talent, they should be an outstanding offensive line. If you give Patrick Mahomes an outstanding offensive line, the sport is unfair. You know, he's just going to torch the league. Yeah, and I think I find it very hard to see it being anyone other than the Chiefs Buccaneers once again in the same suit. I think it'll be the same matchup once again. I think both teams have kept all all their starters, if not most of their starters. I think they've kept pretty much everyone from both teams have done this. So I think uh, whilst the you know the Chiefs have lost um, two two offensive tackles, offensive linemen, I should say. I think at the same time they've replaced them and even added depth with someone like Creed Humphrey coming in as well in the draft. So I do think that 
both teams have really added, kept their core from that from last season, and they've even added depth to their team. And I think as well, I don't think any of the teams like the Packers, the 49ers, the Bills have done enough to really say they're gonna they're gonna go and beat the beat the beat the Buccaneers, gonna beat the Chiefs. So I think both teams are still ever so strong, and I just, I can see it being a real big repeat. But I do think that the Chiefs will win it purely because it's so hard for teams to win back-to-back Super Bowls. It's shown in the last 15 years. So that's why I'd go for the Chiefs just over the Buccaneers for that reason alone. Um, and also Tom Brady's bound to at some point the, the, <laughs> the, uh, the only thing that if you're if you're looking for a ray of sunshine and hope i guess i mean there is a chance that line never coalesces that they, they kind of because they've yeah. got so many pieces to work with now and i know definitely brown and tooney will start obviously those guys top 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 players but they're gonna probably like you said they got creed humphrey they also got trey smith they brought in who would have been a first round pick but he's got medical issues dating back to a heart defect in college so, you know, teams don't want to mess with that. The Chiefs bring him in. So maybe there's, you know, changing of the guard. We want to try one. We'll try the other. There's a chance that doesn't fit. They're really light at receiver and light in terms of just weapons. Like they have Kelsey and Tyreek Hill, which is the best one-two combination you could have in the yeah. league, which is, again, unfair. Um, so no one's saying that's not great. But their kind of bet is, well, if Patrick's upright, he'll make anyone look good. But there's always a chance that if one of those guys goes down that, no, that's not true. We saw this with the the end of Tom Brady where the Patriots were like, well, if Tom stays up, right, everyone will be great, right? And it's like, well, no, those guys just can't get open at the professional level. Yeah, so yeah. that that I think would be maybe the hope. Then there's always a chance, as we saw in the Super Bowl, a good defense will wreck even a good offensive line. So if the, if the Rams can put something together, if the Packers can get better on that side of the ball, which I'm not totally convinced about, if again the books those are the, the three i would circle as saying like those guys might have a chance to come off the ball and, and just wreck everything the chiefs do anyway yeah and i think it's for any i think it's, it's for anyone who supports an afc team i think it's so frustrating that you've just got rid of tom brady all those years you had tom brady dominating the afc <laughs> and now we've got patrick Mahomes. so it's um it's so frustrating for anyone like myself who supports an afc team it's just well, there, there's there's a team that you know I'm I I like Tua um and I'm I'm more bullish on Tua than most people um and, but I just don't think they have the the horses to keep up with the Chiefs in in a foot race but yeah. there's there's a there's a defensive front that could that could wreck anyone you know mm. there's a secondary that's as good as anyone that could match anyone personnel wise can certainly match them for speed um so there's a group where if you got into a wild card weekend would it be that mad for the the dolphins to have such a good day that that, that they upset the chiefs i don't think so um you know you just have to basically hand your organization over to say we cannot outscore them it's not happening all we can do is build a team that can crush them uh up front that's that's the only hope yeah and i think we we showed last season when we probably played them that did he throw three interceptions did he Mm -hmm. throw in that in that game i think that we showed albeit they still beat us. Me had a almost almost late comeback. I think we showed that we, we can get we can get a team. So I, I do feel that last season that if we made the playoffs, I think we could have surprised a few. Um, because also we had Fitzpatrick coming in if two had played bad. So I do think that in that sense, I, I I always felt that if we got there on that last day, if we'd beaten the Bills or we'd beaten the Broncos that season, I do think that we could have easily gone I don't know who we would have played maybe it would have been the Bills we would have played or someone we would have played I do feel that we could have surprised a few uh, but two was look good I thought in preseason, albeit against a Falcons team that probably isn't playing their, their first team first team mm-hmm. players so I'm very hesitant to get excited because I know that it's, it's you know, he's not playing against first teamers even the Falcons first team probably would struggle against we, we, we would do well against and they would struggle so um, yeah I've always been sort of a 
not to a hater, but I've always been a bit sort of not quite convinced yet. So I, I'm still waiting to see him do it in week one. But we mentioned London before, of course. That could, that could be the game we all go. We were there when Tua really showed the world what he can do. Um, so I do have faith in Jalen Waddle will be a good deep threat for, for us. And I do think that even though he's obviously missing the first few games through suspension and he's very injury prone, I think someone like Will Fuller could be a great addition um, to our offense as well. And um, I, I, I think you know, someone like Miles Gaskin is a very sort of, is very capable running back. And I think that now he's got, he got uh, something like 400, 500 yards from, albeit only playing half the game. So I think if you give him a whole season, I do think those numbers could really shoot up uh, for Miles Gaskin. Um, now, our final question, we mentioned them just now briefly, but um, what do you make of the Patriots defence? And with all their starters, coming back, the ones who missed time through injury or opting out last year. Uh, this is a question from Tom Lakeman. Let's, let's put this question in. Um, he's asking about how do you feel the Patriots defence will do now they've got their starters back from injury and opt-outs? Yeah, bringing Calvin Noy back too, which gives mm. them some more versatility. I mean, Matt Judon has just been wrecking people in in the preseason. I, I think that that is a gigantic addition. And they're basically going back to being like old school 3-4 like we we don't necessarily care about getting as many defensive backs in the field as everyone else it almost feels like another Belichick zag where yes they'll play Duggar in dime and they'll play with three safeties and all that stuff but it's more like we're just going to come off the ball faster than everyone we don't have as many big guys up front but we do have some tenacity and some speed and we do have at the second level there with Hightower Van Doyen when they slide Duggar down bunch of versatility so we don't necessarily have to play a ton of defensive backs anymore so I'm, I'm fascinated to see what they do I mean that that group was talented and was good last year I mean I think they just ran out of gas because the, the you know that they were so stale offensively um that I think was draining on the entire franchise um and it, they kind of just ran out of steam there um they certainly have the pieces I mean even just in the secondary and the cornerback spot alone they are so stacked with talent um and have the best defensive coach ever so um yeah i think that they should be they should be really good i i've thought this with them before there's not even a thing necessarily defense anymore where you have to be that good i know it sounds daft but if you can just say we're we're a two takeaway a game defense that's all we care about we we have we, we bluff and we bring pressure and we just kind of stay as solid as possible and all we care about is two takeaways um I think that for them, that should put them in every single game. And their offensive line is so good that they should be able to basically control however they want a game to go. And if their defense can just buy two extra possessions and maybe make one of them a score per game, that that to me should be their entire goal. So I think my um, connection went then. Apologies. Um, but yeah, I think I think the Patriots have definitely have capabilities of having a bounce back year. Uh, my only question for me is is quarterback. I'm not sure, you know, whether Cam's there. I don't know whether he's going to be, you know. But even Mac Jones has showed some good signs in preseason. Uh, I think he, you know, especially that first game, he looked really good against Washington. Um, so do you, who do you think will start? We want. Do you think Cam will keep his place, or do you feel that Mac Jones has done enough in preseason to warrant starting week one? I, I just think with the way Belichick and McDaniels are that they'll give it to Cam just because they, yeah. they convince him to come back and there's there's no rush for them really in that they have to play Matt Jones. I don't think it's going to be such a sufficient upgrade in week one given that, you know, he's gonna, it's going to be hectic. There's going to be... This is the thing, uh, just quickly. Uh, 
Mac Jones has looked fantastic in preseason. He, the thing with Mac Jones that really excites you when you watch him is like he just looks like a pro. That's the jumps off the screen right away. When you watch that first game, the snappiness of the release, his size, his strength, he just has that bulk and look like that's a professional quarterback. You go back to two before, Tua looks small on the field. Yeah, know, yeah. When Russell Wilson first came to the league, he looked small. It's not necessarily, you know, a damning indictment. Russell Wilson is unbelievable. But there's some guys where you just see it the first time, you go, okay, that guy looks like he belongs there. He's massive. Uh, he's got the snap you release. He makes quick decisions. My only concern we're getting excited with the preseason is defenses do nothing in preseason. You know, half those guys will be stock, stacking shelves at Walmart within a fortnight. <laughs> <laughs> it's not even that you know everyone says oh they play vanilla defenses they do play vanilla defenses I, I i would love someone to draw for me these vanilla defenses they're always talking about they all play vanilla defenses all the time at the end of the day it's cover two it's cover one it's cover three it's cover four like that's what we're getting to you might throw a six and you might throw in a two trap but for the most part nfl defenses do do that what makes them special is they can move pre and post snap into those looks right that's that's the really creative part they, those guys are so switched on they can move into different looks from the, before the snap to after the snap, and they can run match coverage, which is really hard to do in uh, the college level, which is basically a, a combination zone and man coverage together in one. It's really complex, really difficult to run. Very few colleges can run it. They all run it in the pros. That's the difficulty. So to ask Matt Jones to go from just saying, it, so my point is that when you line up against that in preseason, you should be able to shred that, all these rookies. You're the best throwers of football in college. That's why you got drafted in the first round. So if you see a too high coverage, you should be able to beat it. The the trick comes when they move from one look pre-snap to the second look post-snap. They do none of that in preseason. So I think to get carried away with Mac Jones and the, the, the processing ability and all the stuff you see people get excited about, it's just, it's too much too soon. I, I would be so bullish on Mac Jones if I was a Patriots fan. And I'd be really excited to see him, but they're with him every day in the building and they'll know when the, when the time is right. I, I think where that quarterback competition is a bit different than everyone else's is that one really does feel like a drive to drive thing right away. Like if Cam comes out and it's just bad after two drives, Mac Jones might just give them an injection of something right away where they say, you know what, it's not happening. We'll put him Mac in. That could happen week one. That could happen week two. By week three, I think Mac Jones will be the starter um, because at some point you've got to put them in live bullets, right? And let them see all that stuff and see if they can figure it out. Um, so I, I would be really bullish on Mac Jones, like I said, but I would be a little bit surprised if he started week one, unless it was something to do with how they've had this COVID situation with Cam this week and the reports are they're very disappointed in how that came about. And it's more of an off the field thing mm -hmm. um, than it is necessarily about on field play. I think they are happy to play grind it out, ugly football to win a couple of games. Whilst Mac Jones, it's like he can be on the sidelines, he can see it, they can go through the film and you just give him a couple of weeks of like, this is the type of thing you're going to see. I know we've talked about it all off season, but we're in it now, right? And this is what it looks like. You've set, you've seen and felt the speed. You've been through a game day with us. You kind of get the rhythm of the thing. Now go and try and play from week three onwards. I, that would be the kind of timeline I'd be looking at with, with that competition. Yeah, and it'd be interesting what's going to happen with, with the AFC East. I think Bill's clear favourites Whereas Dolphins and Patriots, very similar in terms of, uh, you know, good defence, but offence is a bit sort of hit and miss. And then obviously the Jets are in rebuild. So very intriguing how that division is going to go. But that does conclude our podcast for this week, our newly named across Euro Trips Across the Ponds podcast. Um, thank you, Ollie, for being a part of it. And we look forward to having you on once again in the future. And thank you for your time as well. Um, so I've been Andy. This has been Ollie. Thank you for listening and we'll see you soon. <laughs>